ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to Bad Jew. With me today is one of the neatest guys I know. Jonathan Maiman is here today on the podcast. He's going to talk to us about the integral part that music plays in Judaism. Why does music even matter in Judaism? But before we get into that, Jonathan, we don't even know you. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. I listened to your episode with Rabbi Brisky, which was just so amazing. Really beautiful. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening. You know, it means a lot. And that episode had played a very personal part in my life. I, I also have a personal attachment to, you know, Jewish music and Israeli music. For those who partake in any prayers and experience the melodies that take place, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit. And also the folk music of Judaism that we're seeing in the late in the past hundred years. But before we get to that subject, Jonathan, are you ready for the Bad Jew Challenge? I'm ready. All right. We're going to tell your life story in four minutes, starting now. Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Maiman. I am a film director. It's one of my one of my jobs. I actually have a couple jobs. And this will be my second film. My first one was published in 2017 called Journey from Tunisia. And that was a story that looked at uh, my family's journey from Tunisia in the 1950s to Israel. So it was interviews with my grandparents on my father's side, my great aunt, my great uncle, and my dad's older sister. That was an opportunity I had to kind of tell this story and share it with the world. And it premiered right here in Los Angeles in 2017. Fast forward six years, I'm at my sister's wedding and I'm hearing uh, this band that comes to play at their wedding. And they're playing these old Israeli folk songs, but they're adding a modern twist to it. So um, that to me really inspired me to explore more about this music. And 10 months later, 11 months later, where we are today is we're making a feature length film about the history of Israeli folk music and dance. And um, we're gonna go to Israel to meet what is the last surviving generation of Israeli folk musicians who are in their 80s and 90s today. Um, outside of doing film, I work in technology. I'm what's called a, a designer, user experience designer. I help build mobile apps and websites. Uh, fairly new to Los Angeles. I moved here about one year ago. Prior to that, I've lived all over from New York. And then as far as my background, we'll probably get more into that as we dive into talking more about music. But I'm really excited to be here and, and share what I know about folk music and Israeli music with you and your audience. Well, I really feel privileged that you came here and joined us to talk about this such this really precious part of Judaism. And I've been wanting to talk about the music that comes with Judaism for some time. But to be honest, music, is it really a part of Judaism? I don't know. Does music even matter to Judaism? Yeah, I think we should start by looking at the good book, right, which is the Bible. And you can see there's mentions of music basically from the time of King David and before. If, if I can entertain you with a, a short statement from, from the Bible, 
And this is from Chronicles 13, which is part of the Ketuvim. This, this line says, David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and with trumpets. So he basically gave instruction for what a basic Jewish orchestra could sound like, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, this is the original Jewish party, right? It's got to have lyres, it's got to have harps, it's got to have tambourine, cymbals, and trumpets. Man, I want to go. Like TFTI, but, you know, that's pretty cool. But, you know, I've always experienced, you know, Jewish music, not just from prayer, not just from, you know, some of the melodies that you hear in a synagogue, but I've also experienced it on the dance floor. Like when I grew up going to Jewish summer camp, uh, we would always do Israeli dancing. And there was always music. And Israeli dancing always incorporated Israeli music, of course. There's the classics, there's the oldies. But then there's also the newer ones that don't necessarily incorporate Israeli music. So you now have Israeli music with non-Israeli music as well happening that isn't in Hebrew. Like Turkish Kiss, for example, is in, is in a different language. So, you know, I, I've experienced Israeli, like a, lot of, like a lot of music just strictly from dancing alone. But where else would people hear music in the Jewish world? Yeah, it's a good good question. And part of the motivation to make this film is this realization that an eight-year-old at a Jewish summer camp in the U.S. might know some of these songs. They might know some of these dances. Yet we have not ever documented in, in, a doc, in a film the history of this music. And so, you know, Jews, I think, have been so good about documenting every little piece of their history. I mean, you look at things like the Cairo Geniza, which had hundreds of years of the most mundane papers from Jewish life in Egypt. And here we are today where an eight-year-old, you know, Chaz is an eight-year-old or an eight-year-old in, in 2023 might get some exposure to Israeli dancing, Israeli folk dancing, and exposure to some Israeli songs, both old and new. And yet we're so disconnected from what is the history of this music? Where did it come from? Why are we dancing the way we're dancing? And who are the people who kind of created this music and why does it, why does it matter? So the film really, I honestly, the ideal audience is that eight-year-old, is that teenager who might have some exposure to these things, but have no context or no history for it. I absolutely love that. And, and just to give an example, I want to see if there's any eight-year-old listening right now. Let's see if you've heard this one. familiar yet to anybody either way for those who are for those who are like uh, driving to work right now or not able to uh, listen to, to watch the podcast i encourage you to listen to this because <laughs> i love that you know it's so cute but yeah like it's you know that it's a very recognizable melody we've heard this we grew up with that you know it's it's kind of been an integral part, but we don't really ever learn about the history or the context of where that even came from. Yeah, and Nigunatik, uh, which which means old melody, is uh, really a fantastic example of the complexity of Israeli folk music and dance. This song kind of comes from the Hasidic Nigun, right? These these repeating melodies that um, are very kind of common in in Jewish prayer. The kind of drama behind this dance specifically is it was choreographed by a woman named Rivka Sturman in 1955. 
in Israel. She added Hasidic elements to this dance, certain moves like certain swaying and just sort of lifting your hands up to the, the sky. These are things borrowed from the Hasidic tradition. The kibbutz board at the time did not allow this dance to be like shared with the kibbutz because the Hasidic tradition was seen as backwards. And because in Israeli culture at the time, in the early years, they wanted to sort of create this new identity that was somewhat removed from the roots of Eastern Europe, because there was this feeling that like, well, we're a new country and you know, we've sort of survived the Holocaust and like, we want to kind of look forward and not, not backwards into, in terms of our culture, but she persisted. And eventually this dance was approved by the kibbutz board and it has become one of the most popular and like standard dances that you would learn when doing Israeli folk dance. So I found that to be very interesting. It is very interesting. But John, I got to ask, you know, besides being at your sister's wedding and hearing Israeli folk music being played, why does it matter to you? It's a good question. I think the first part is it's definitely a family story. So I'm half Israeli on my dad's side. So culturally, like I feel very close with that culture. But the music side in my life comes from my mom. She was a music teacher for 30 years. She still teaches music. And so, you know, in our house, there's always there would always be Jewish music growing up. And I think that kind of thing stayed with me. Uh, I also played music for a long time. I played drums, mostly jazz music. So I'm not going to be playing Jewish folk music uh, myself. But, uh, you know, I studied jazz. I studied uh ethnomusicology uh, in college as well. Uh, and so like the history of music uh, has been something that's developed in my life, really my whole life to really understand and learn more about music. And so it all just kind of clicked. I felt like when I heard this band, and I started to do more research. It just made sense that this story is basically so relevant to me because of who I am and how I grew up. And it just felt like I had to do this. It's kind of like when you see your purpose or you see your mission in life and you just have to run and chase it. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I, I really like that idea. I You get emotionally attached to things that sometimes you just simply can't explain and it means the world. And just by the way, so people can understand um, the kind of music that the, the specific kind of band that Jonathan's describing right now, I'm just going to pull up a clip here from Shamadi. This is during Hanukkah, and they did. John, then you said a Johnny Cash spin on on. I think this is just neat. Yeah, they had a. I had a little dreidel, but sung in the version of Johnny Cash's Balsam Prison Blues. Right. I mean, I can tell you right now, if I was at a wedding and just started playing, it'd be game over for me. I, I would. I would just have too much fun. It would just be too much fun. <laughs> Oh, so this is just an overview of their music. But yeah, so I think we kind of get the idea that they do some pretty good crowd participation here. And you can see them doing Israeli dance here as well. There's that integration yeah. we're talking about. Mayim, uh, another classic Israeli folk song choreographed in, in 1937 um, after a seven-year search for water in the desert. Right. Uh, Mayim, for your audience, means water. So it's sort of the celebration of finding 
Finding water in the desert. Yeah, they have a great energy. They're based in Oakland, Berkeley, the East Bay. So they've played all over the Bay Area. And they're they're really good at like kind of involving their audience. Actually, a quick interesting story with them. They recorded an album called Embrace the Light a few years ago. And the way the band works is like they hate playing on stage. Like they hate playing if they're not really involving an audience. So when they recorded this album, they invited like 40 people into the studio so that they would have like a live audience while they were recording in order to just make the feel like have that give and take be just a lot more interactive. And uh, what you're showing here is a, a copy of, of the album and on the left is, is them playing at a wedding. So really they like, they almost can't function if there's not this back and forth from the audience that's helping drive the music. I think that's really, I think that's really wholesome. Um, again, if you're listening at home and you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, again, I really recommend watching this specific episode on YouTube, just because we're going to be showing a lot of visual elements. You'll be hearing a lot of things, but without being able to see what we're talking about, um, it's going to not have as much value to your viewing experience. Uh, I can tell you that, but you're absolutely, but I think that's really wholesome about um, Shamadi and the way they function, the way they perform. Shamadi also performed here at Oakland uh, Stadium uh, during a baseball game as well. Again, speaking to that audience participation that you were describing, I want to show this. This is just so neat. Proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous night. I think it's just really neat. It's a great rendition. Yeah, and this was really special. I'm gonna, I'm gonna embarrass uh, Isaac, who's the lead singer okay. in Shamati, uh, the one on the left. He, uh, he's, he basically growing up was a huge baseball fan, and he had to decide in high school: do I play baseball or like do I join like musical theater and play music? And he's like, the choice is obvious. Of course, I'm gonna play baseball. <laughs> so he, uh, you know, he played baseball in high school. He might have played a little in college. And then later in life got into music and now he does music full time. And so this performance to him was just so crazy because here he is seeing these baseball stars that he admired as a little kid, you know, tearing up and holding their hats and their hands over their hearts because of something he's doing. And so that for him was just like such a bringing together both of his passions in life in a way that was really special you can see him getting emotional right there that's so wholesome that's so sweet i love that for him that's great we'd love to get him on the podcast and i'm soon so if you're ever listening please this is a, your formal invitation to be a part of bad jew i think that's just such a great story what is the history though of jewish folk music like specifically folk music because I mean, when did that even start? I don't know. It's like, it just seemed like it just came out of nowhere. Yeah. And if you actually ask an academic, a lot of them will say they can't even define what Israeli folk music is. Even some of the people who are associated with it, like Naomi Shemer has been quoted as saying, I, I don't, I don't know what Israeli folk music is. So it is sort of this topic that I think in the film, we're going to try to explore. We're definitely not going to be the authoritative voice on it, but I think we're going to basically say, well, it's kind of hard to define, but if I was to give an answer, 
um, as immigrants moved to Israel, um, this is pre-1948, um, they basically probably couldn't bring much money or maybe they, they didn't have much money to bring. So what did they bring to Israel? Um, they brought their food, their recipes, and they brought their music. They brought things that you didn't need to carry in a suitcase. They brought things that you learned, mm -hmm. uh, you were familiar with maybe growing up as children in Eastern Europe or North Africa. And so there was a great film a few years ago called In Search of Israeli Cuisine by a director named Roger Sherman, where he goes to Israel with Michael Solomonoff. Some of you might know who that is, um, the chef behind Zahav, a very famous James Beard winning chef. And they explore the hundred different countries that have informed Israeli cuisine. And it's the same thing with music. There's, there's dozens of countries that have informed Israeli folk music and Israeli culture. Um, and it's one of these other things that, again, immigrants came and they couldn't bring anything. So this comes from the JDC archives. JDC is an organization that has supported Jews abroad outside the U.S. and I think largely outside Israel and supported those communities for the last hundred years. And so this clip comes from their archives. This was filmed in 1949 in Yemen at a transit camp as immigrants are awaiting Aliyah to Israel. Um, so I assume this is some kind of loom or some sort of sewing they're, they're doing here. So effectively people are just kind of hanging out and they're, they're, they're bored or they're just like waiting to get airlifted to Israel. And it's probably really hot too. It's like, what, what do we do with this time that we're not enjoying comfortably here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what do people do when, what do Jews do? I think when they, they sort of have some time on their hands and they're all just hanging out. Well, someone plays some music. You can see these guys sitting down playing some, you know, percussion and clapping. And then people start, start dancing again. Like I said earlier, when immigrants came to Israel, they, couldn't bring much. It's not like you see people with tons of suitcases here, but they're bringing their dances and they're bringing their music. And as Yemenites and, and Jews from other Middle Eastern countries came to Israel, some of these elements and dances were incorporated into what at the time had just been kind of a largely Nazi tradition and, and culture in Israel. So uh, in the fifties, you started to see dances that incorporated more of the traditions of Jews from the Middle East. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, literally there's a dance move called Yemenite. That's another thing as well. Just to point to the multicultural amalgamation that is Israeli folk music slash dancing. I mean, this episode primarily focuses on the music aspect of it. I definitely want to have an episode later on about the dance, but you can see here that, yeah, they're taking with them the non-tangible. They're taking with them something that is just inside them. This ability to move this ability to create such a sound as a side tangent this is also another piece of evidence of proof this is before this is right as israel was created right mm -hmm. yeah so, yeah so i mean obviously these people were born before israel's existence but you get the idea that judaism is not just a religion it's an ethno religion it's a religion that has existed before you would point to someone and say this person's white or black or whatever. Jews are not all white. Yeah, Jonathan and I happen to be white 
or at half, least half, half. <laughs> right. Donovan's half white, half white, apparently. Right. I, I know people that when they're filling out their tax forms and they ask you what your ethnicity is and Caucasian shows up right next to African-American, right next to Latino, they check off other and they write Jewish just to emphasize the fact that being Jewish does not mean you're white. So that's going to be a later episode in the future. I definitely want to have an expert come on and talk more about that. But that is something that has come up multiple times. And that was just living proof of the fact that it's an ethno religion. So there we go. But Jonathan, this is, this is absolutely fantastic. What are we seeing now in the Israeli folk scene happening? Yeah. So it's interesting. I think part of the motivation to make this movie is that Israeli culture, much like I think American culture as well, is very forward looking, right? Kadima, like forward. So this idea of listening to these old songs and like dancing to these old songs is not really done that much anymore. That's why I, I say half in jest, but half in truth, an eight-year-old in the U.S. at a summer camp might know these songs better than an Israeli who's a teenager or an adult. Israeli music today is driven by hip hop. It's driven by reggaeton. Like these are the songs that are really popular today in Israel. A lot of these songs that kind of come from before 1973, before kind of the Yom Kippur War, that are what we're trying to define as Israeli folk music, are not really listened to much anymore. Um, and that's why I think the whole thing that Shamati is doing and why sort of the impetus for the film is interesting is they're taking these old songs like Mayim Mayim, which was written almost 100 years ago, and making it like fun and exciting and relevant again. And one thing we hope to do in the film is, is go to Israel and perform for a young Israeli audience with Shamati and see, does this music resonate to these people as Jews? Can they like get into it? as Jews sort of hearing Israeli folk music back at them? Or are they like, what is this? Why does this, like, this doesn't speak to me at all. Like, where's the reggaeton here? Uh, we don't know. So I think that'll be interesting. And one thing we hope to do when we go to Israel. I think it will be very interesting. I think that you have, you know, taken something from the past and found a band that is embracing some modern twists on it, but without, without subjecting itself to the status quo, so to speak of being like, oh, we have to fit into this mold with these specific instruments. We're going to incorporate our own twist into it. Israeli folk music isn't defined, as you pointed out earlier. So let's take advantage of that. And I think that's actually really, really neat. In terms of looking back, what value do you want people to get from looking back at the history of folk music? Yeah, I think like everything in, in Judaism, it's, it's part of our identity. It's part of our culture. Um, you don't have to be Israeli to be moved by Hava Nagila, even though that was written in Israel. Um, if you have any kind of Jewish blood in you, I think this music will move you. Um, I think people who don't even know they're Jewish will probably listen to this and like it will speak to them in a way that other music doesn't. Uh, there's a great quote in the trailer for the film mm. where Nathaniel and Isaac, the two founders of Shamati, say that when they play at weddings, for example, they might play, you know, your earth, wind and fire or <laughs> whatever else kind of might be, you know, nice wedding music. But yeah. when they play their horror set or their set of like Israeli and Jewish folk songs, that's what gets people onto the dance floor. That's what gets people moving in a way that 
American pop and American R&B music just doesn't. It's very true. And I, I've seen this in person for myself. I went to an Israeli dance night recently where they started playing Israeli folk music. And there were people who were twice my age, three times my age, who could move better than me. And I felt so like not even out of shape because I'm actually like I'm a pretty healthy guy. I just felt incapable. I was like, oh, my God, this I, I can't do this like this. The, I don't know how this woman with wrinkles is able to do that dance. Like it was just it was so impressive. So it's it's true. You know, it's the music has some kind of a, a power within it that is indescribable. I mean, it can be dated all the way back to the Torah, as you point out at the beginning of this episode, talking about how it's mentioned really, really early on since the time of King David. And it's talked about that. But here are some other, you know, examples of the blast of the past as well. We have, you know, some classics from Effie Netzer. Uh, let's see here. This Oh, these are all Effie Netzers here. Okay. So these are, we just have different album arts and you can find these different songs. I wonder if you'd be able to find these at your classic, like Amoeba Records, you know? You can definitely find these on uh, on Spotify or on, yeah. on YouTube. A lot of a lot of people have kind of uploaded this music yeah, to, to YouTube. So, but I, I do want to talk about Effie Netzer briefly. He's going to be one of the people we hope to talk to in Israel and will be kind of a big part of the film. Uh, he's recorded over 30 albums of Israeli folk music in his career. Wow. He is 89 years old. I spoke to him a couple times to prep for the film. He sounds much younger. He's super youthful he's still playing he's still performing during the COVID lockdown he he had a performance on israeli television of kind of classic israeli songs and that was a, a like a nice way to you know lift the spirits of israeli people who are stuck at home so really an amazing musician who's been performing and playing and recording music for 70 years and he's he's still around today and that's really the 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 why now for the film is like we don't know how much longer we'll have. So we really want to kind of tell the story while we still can. Wow. Yeah, no, I think that if you were to have the privilege to, to get to speak with, with Effie and kind of hear more about a story, it's got to be now. It, it, no better time than the present to get in contact with them. And that's why this Kickstarter is so important here to support Jonathan's efforts here. It's not just to create a film. It's to preserve something that's still living. And has an expiration date on it. I don't mean to refer to being a senior citizen so crudely, but the bottom line is that this is history. You know, it's not well documented. It's such a forward-thinking culture that we're not taking the time to introspectively look back at what we've done and what we've accomplished that are integral to our identity. And so if you want to support Jonathan's movie, I Hear You, please go to www.ihearyoufilm.com. And also in terms of the music that has been talked about, that will also be displayed in the show notes of this episode. We'll have links to each and every artist that we've mentioned. Uh, Jonathan, is there anything else that you want to leave us with today? Yeah, for folks who are listening, who want to learn more about this music, who might want to see a trailer for the film, as Jazz mentioned, do go to IHearYouFilm.com. The Kickstarter that is running for 45 days, it ends the end of April, a quirk about Kickstarter that folks might know if we don't hit our target, we get nothing, we get zilch. So please contribute because every, every contribution matters. 
we need this in order to tell this story and go to Israel and, and meet the last surviving generation of Israeli folk musicians. Wow. Wait, Jonathan, quick question. How much does it cost? Well, how much do you need to, to make this project happen? So we're looking to raise $35,000. Okay. And you can donate the levels are, uh, you know, they run from $18 up to, to the thousands, but uh, donations at $18 gets your name on the website. Uh, $36, you get a copy of the film um, once it's available for wide release. And then at $108, you get to have your name in a movie. You'll be in the credits uh, for the film. And at $250, you'll get VIP tickets to the Los Angeles premiere when the film is ready to be shown. Oh, that's so cool. That is so cool. So we got to make this film happen, guys. If you're listening right now, go to www.ihearyoufilm.com. Support Jonathan and his film. Let's get I Hear You loud. Let's get it present. Let's retrospectively look back at this important part of identity. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. It really was great. And I really did learn a lot. I didn't know a lot about the context and the history of Israeli folk music, but I think you illustrated it very well. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Shalom. Sure.